Nintendo can do whatever they want. Well, it's great because they're like, you know what? You have we have these characters. You like them? We're gonna put them in a bunch of weird. Mario's playing tennis now. Yeah, let's go play some tennis. Everyone's like, yes. And so I think it's just fantastic. Wait, and Mario, you can see Mario's nipples for the first time. Yeah, that's another thing that happens. He's on a beach. Yes. Finally, after thirty years, we've got the high def Mario nipples. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 226 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, I'm drinking wheat. I'm, <laughs> I'm the artist. And this is a show. Wheat. Uh, this is literally, I'm drinking a coffee replacement that is just made uh, out of wheat. Yes, what is it called? Wheat and molasses. It's called... It's, oh, called, <laughs> it's called wheat and molasses. That's what it's made out of. All it's, right. just, it's just wheat and molasses. It's, it's, it's named... Pot, potsum, postum, postum, postum. Yeah, that's what it is. Which is probably the ugliest name for a good beverage. Yes. Fortunately, we have pop filters though, so that that is not going to be a horrible. It's not a problem. Experience. Mm-hmm. I've got an irrational fear of molasses ever since I learned about that molasses wave that oh, wiped yeah. out a whole town. Yeah, like it killed a lot ago. of people. Yeah, yeah, Wikipedia. That if you haven't heard about it, basically it was a bunch of molasses stored in a thing uphill, and you know it just killed everyone. Yeah, potential yeah. energy. Well, I'll get you every time. Yep. So there was. Oh, so this is a show where we talk about life, business, and molasses. <laughs> uh, today is Spooktober Skeleton. Yes. 2019. Skeleton. Uh, before we get started, we have a warning. Swears. We got them. We're handing them out. So if you don't like them, then, then you know, we just don't have to listen anymore. Yep. Uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We got some new ones. Uh, do, do know, Dino says... It says Dino, but then the, there's a pronunciation next to it, which is nothing like the way it's spelled. So I'm a little <laughs> bit disoriented. It says, just wanted to say that I love your podcast. Very excellent and inspiring. A year ago, I couldn't tell your voices apart, but now I can. So that's pretty awesome. Nice. Go. It only takes like 52 episodes or yeah. so. Most people that I've talked to still can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Including people that I've known my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dino also says, uh, I want to say so much. Ah. Uh, what are your plans after level head? I don't know what to ask. I'm so nervous. That does sound like a lot of work. Yeah. I like that we apparently have so much power now that we made someone nervous asynchronously through a keyboard. Uh-huh. We did it. Boom. We, we, we made arrived. it. True celebrity uh, status. Angry Muffin also says, for reasons you don't need to know about, I canceled my butter, butterscotch shenanascription. Mm. But I'm. But now, 10 minutes later, I'm back. So just shut up and drink <laughs> these coffees on me. I'm and glad. I, I'm gonna, we need to now figure out what happened, though. My bet is... Had his credit card stolen? Mm. Actually, no. He committed fraud, but he's pretending like his Whoa. credit card was stolen, so he had to have it canceled. Yeah. Otherwise, why would yeah. he just tell us? You he know what used I mean? someone else's credit card to yes. have his first subscription, and then that person found out, so he stole someone else's credit Whoa. card right. to That's get the happened. new one. The thievery continues. That's the only possible explanation. Yep. And last, uh, Specchio says, just wanted to take this opportunity to thank Seth for being an amazing programmer and always taking time out of his busy schedule to answer my detailed questions on the inner workings of Levelhead. They are very detailed. Sam, Sam for the amazing environment and item art, especially Belugs. Uh, dare you. Adam for meticulously responding to every feedback and keeping the internet running, and everyone else in the studio who works behind the scenes for helping to create such a fantastic game. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Very nice message. Really thank very you. Nice. Uh, and of course, we have recurring supporters who we would like to thank as well. Uh, all right, let's get on to the news. We're not going to, but we'd like to. We'd like to. We'd Some like to. Other time. Yeah. Ne- next episode. <laughs> yeah. It's something that we, it's, it's in our uh, Trello. It's on the roadmap. Yeah. yeah. Um, Shenanicon, it happened. Yeah, that was the last episode. Yeah. Good. It was a lot of fun. Um, I think it was a little bit hard to hear the question askers on the- uh, 100% was. Episode. Yeah. 
Um, I was was hoping we'd get that this time. We didn't. Nope. But uh, we'd like to still thank you, everybody who came. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Had a great time. Had a lot of pretzels. And the uh, the series of levels that was used for the Levelhead Relay event, which was super fun, um, are actually being used by G-Car for a crowns and shoes contest that's going on in the community right now. So if you didn't get to come but you want to play through the levels that we actually played through sort of as a group um, in a big competition, then you can actually still do that. So you go check that out. It's in the Discord. Yeah, head somewhere. to the Discord. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I just want to say thanks, everybody, for coming. It was great. It was a, we all had a blast. Yes. And it was – It was. Uh, we were up until the wee hours of the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we started at 9 a.m. <laughs> that morning, and then I got home at 11.30, I think. My voice was utterly destroyed, so I had to leave at 8. Yeah, Sam, I was like, I actually cannot vocalize anymore. Yeah, Sam so. took the opportunity to sort of like get the flu early in the week. I did. And then was mm-hmm. pseudo-recovered by the time the convention happened. Yep. Um, so good on good job on that it was one. An interesting Sam. strategy. Yeah. Do yeah. what I can. Yeah. All right, Sam, you got a you got a twenty nineteen story. I, I do. Well, you know, we all know it's twenty nineteen. That means all of the things that are horrible are happening. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, because you have you have twenty great teen and then you have to regress to the mean. You gotta you, yep. know? So you gotta balance it out. Yep. So twenty nineteen's just been that. Um twenty grind teen, as we call it. Well, more like twenty shite teen. Apparently. And so <laughs> On Saturday, uh, uh-huh. my wife and I were driving around with some some friends' parties and stuff. Various fun socializing events. How many friends had parties on the same weekend? Two. It's a lot. It was. It was. It was a lot. You got yeah. too many friends. You got to pair that. <laughs> gotta, pair that down. Put that in. But half. the important note is that we were driving around, of course, quite a bit. So we're going across the city and stuff, we're scooping the loop, scooping. Well, we're scooping something because at some point, so we're driving, and you know when you hit like a dip in the road that comes mm-hmm. out of nowhere. And it's just a little more of a dip than it frankly should be given whatever the speed limit is. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of these in St. Louis. And this was – we're in some new roads. It didn't have a sign that said dip. didn't have a sign it. that was like, yo. Because there's some of my favorite signs, the ones that just said dip. Dip, like, dip. Like, yes. <laughs> um, so there was no sign or anything. And I was just going, going the same speed as everybody else. And um, I saw the car in front of me. It was sort of like, like really – did the suspension sort of bounce thing. And I was like, that seemed like a lot. But of course, I was I was upon the dip by the time the reaction hit me. Mm-hmm. So I did the dip. And then I was like, I feel like that was a substantial stress on my entire vehicle. But okay. Mm-hmm. Was this on the Ford Focus? The, the 2010 Ford Focus? 2010 Ford Focus. So this so thing is already, it's already seen some years. Yeah, it's still yeah. going. It's so, got, so then I assume you... You drove for a little bit longer than you suddenly realized that you were just in the frame of your car. <laughs> and you were Flintstones running. Yeah. It was about that. So then the next day, uh, we go out to grab some stuff from Home Depot. And uh, afterward, I look down at my tire and there's a bulge. A sidewall bulge? A sidewall bulge. My front left tire. And I was like, shit. Because those that's very bad. You can't drive on that. It'll explode. And so I was like, Okay. So I did, called, you, did you try just punching it back in? I, man, I would love to. Just tape it. Tape, 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 tape flex tape on. Called yeah. Firestone and I was like, hey, I just need to come by, you know, drop this thing off. So I come by and I'm like, hey, there's just this thing in the front left. It's like, cool. They call me back and they're like, also, did you know there's one on your front right tire too? And I said, no. And so now front left tire, front right tire need to be replaced. And then they're like, also, you basically have no tread left on your back left tire. Did, did you just, did you just you know get that? all new tires? And I was like, no, probably, I didn't know that. probably from all your U-turns. Probably because you turns you just spin on a dime, you know. So mm-hmm. I mean, we all know how turns work. I mean, right? I do. I pull the e brake. Yeah. That's how you. Yep. Yeah, you pull the e brake. The e brake <laughs> only stops now you're just going the other way. Yeah, yep. the e brake only stops your back left tire. Yeah. That's how that works. Mm-hmm. So you sure. pull that really hard, yep. and then you spin on it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you spin on it like three times. I do at least three revolutions yeah. per turn. 
They've yeah. called a U-turn because that's the face that your uh, that's the shape that your mouth makes while you're doing it. You're just like mm. <laughs> <laughs> while you whilst you spin three times at a full. But yeah, so now I gotta now I gotta buy all new tires. Uh, when it was, it when was the last tires time you are expensive. had? They're very expensive. When was the last time you had new tires? I don't know. That's the other thing. Well, you, I did, that's probably that's probably the problem. But yeah. like, I've had them ruined over the course of you know the, there have been other sidewall bulge incidents uh, you know in my life. Mm-hmm. Is the, the same tires? Yeah, not the same tires, but a different tire on the same car. Okay, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. We, my wife and I, both had our cars for ten years, and Mine's neither of us had ever had our tires replaced the whole time. Whoa. Yeah. Actually, that, that must not be true. There must be at least one time in there that there's got to be one. There must have been one, mm-hmm. but it's been it's been at least five years since we had our tires replaced, uh, and and so they're like the, the trail was getting worn down. You know, like my last inspection, they were like. <laughs> this is looking real bad. Yep. Like these are these are near. These are, sir. You are driving on rims. These are sir, basically you, bald. You can no longer go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we just got them. We just had to get all of our tires. Both our both of our cars. Uh, all our tires replaced this year, which was not a fun. That was a very expensive month. Well, I'm joining. You know what? This is a, this is all making. But having good tires though, it's nice. It didn't, it didn't change anything about my driving experience, as far as I can tell. But looks really good. It's like Ooh. having a full gas tank where you're like. Nice. Yeah. I don't need to worry about this for a while. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Until mm-hmm. I hit another dip. Yeah. Now, maybe, hear me out. Hear me out, fellas. All right. Maybe 2018 was so great because we did absolutely no maintenance <laughs> on any of the things in our lives. Are you saying that we're just getting caught up? 2019 is us paying for the good for the time sins we had of 2018. Yeah. Because mm. I had to replace my roof this year. You did. <laughs> That was last week, right? Uh, that was last week. That was a big. That was a big dent in the yep. old bank account. Yep. yep. Uh, <laughs> but I probably should have replaced it several years ago. So our actually. dishwasher. The reason we went to Home Depot was to buy a new dishwasher because that broke. Because right? your dishwasher broke because it's um, 2019. Yeah, and she was like, "Do you know how old it is?" And we're like, "Honestly, it is probably ancient. We have no idea." And she's like, "How well does it clean your dishes?" And we're like, "What do you mean?" Clean. Is that, a thing? <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah, no, I literally asked her. I was like, I thought it would just sort of like like steamed it and like chilled <laughs> stuff on it. <laughs> she was Isn't like, it like a dish sauna. Yeah, like I thought it was spa? like a dish sanitizer. And she was like, no. She's like, the dishes that go in are supposed to go out super clean. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we've had to we've had to reclean them usually. Afterward, she's like, what? <laughs> Meanwhile, like you lug in this dishwasher and it's like made of wood and stone. It's yeah. like taped together. Uh-huh. And it's just so got hot bad. coals on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Like, we just throw water on the coals and it uh Well it made me wonder because you know, we've talked about process improvement stuff and how very frequently you're just kind of you're you're just kind of blind to what it's maybe, a fruit sticker. Yeah, what improvements have happened even. And so like my wife got a new car a couple of years ago and it like she we all we thought it was the additional features that she was getting, like the new fancy stuff. But it was just sort of how cars are made now, where they just they have a rear cam. Yeah. You can see yeah. behind you now. That's, you can that just, has to be the best invention. Of you can see behind you now. That's a it's yeah. a big deal. Crazy, isn't it wild that we've been we've just before, been driving in these tanks, these you know thousands the of ability pounds, to see, and we just can't see, mm-hmm. and that's just fine. That's just, just how you do things. But cool. you know, a lot of cases it still doesn't matter because I still remember that time we were in a Panera parking oh lot. Oh my god! Oh yeah, still <laughs> have that dent. And Sam's uh, backing out, and then also we're like, and we just feel something, and then we turn, and there's somebody else was also backing out, and she had the rear camera and the, like and a, the sensor, the sensors, which apparently was beeping at her. Yeah, and then she she just made some like declaration where she was like, "I just don't listen to that sensor because it always beeps for no reason." So <laughs> after hitting my car, yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, that was uh, yeah. So you know, the technology can only take you so far. Of note, the insurance uh, did not settle in my favor on that one. 
So you like, still just wow. got that dent. Really? Yeah. How does that work? I don't know. Yeah, that's a tricky Whatever. one, though, because I think you guys- He said, she said. Well, that. you both backed into each other at the same yeah. time. Yeah. So that was just kind of a- everybody, one of those. Everybody she had a bigger, more expensive car. So and Sam's so car dented. Would. Yeah, I think the law of who's richer. Mm-hmm. The law of applied. whose car b- receives damage just loses. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's right. Because mm-hmm. her car was completely fine. There was yep. no mark on it yep. whatsoever. Um, anyway, so hey, she also had video proof that she hit it, but you didn't. Correct. And she probably just did not submit that video. That proof. is also correct. Yeah. Yep. Do those rear cameras re- Actually, record I don't stuff? I don't think they record. Maybe they don't record stuff. Yeah. Probably not. But I do have a dash cam. Highly recommend everybody get a dash cam. I used mine for a while, but then it melted. So yeah, mine broke in half. Mine, mine <laughs> melted. Actually, I went, I went to the car because it gets to be like a hundred something degrees mm-hmm. here, and then inside your car, it's essentially an it's oven. An oven. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so my, mine melted and it came apart and I, I got in my car and it was like the circuit board was just like laying on the seat <laughs> and like yeah. the camera part was out. And then I was like, Ooh, so I just turned on my AC cause it was fucking hot in uh-huh. there. And then I just spent a half an hour just like trying to, trying to put all the pieces back together. I got it. Because I, 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 I can't get mine to close because I, yeah. somehow it's guts don't fit back inside. That's exactly the problem I have. Yeah. And then I just had this. Do we weird, all have the like, same camera? Yeah, I probably. I think it was the same one. Yeah. It had this. It was just sort of this dangly guts thing. Then from my from my rear view mirror. Yeah, with the that's more intimidating sort of though. Looking around because yeah. if somebody's you know maybe they're thinking about stealing shit out of your car or something and they see like some kind of weird circuitry hanging there with the it's camera like on a it, creepy like, totem. Yeah, yeah. You know. what? And these are the robots you killed. <laughs> yeah. Watch yeah. out! Uh, but you know, if you get a dash cam that doesn't melt. Um, which I would generally recommend. The problem though, is that it's really hard to know if a dash cam is going to be good because as you know, from Amazon reviews, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, reading through trying to figure out what's good. Cause, cause the main thing you don't want is to get in an accident and have it not be recorded. Otherwise what's right. even the point, you know, uh, which seems to be the most common problem that dash cams have. And the other problem you know, is what do you mean when you, as in their primary purpose, which is what? having been recording when an accident happens is the thing they fail at the most often. Yeah. I mean, you still have to turn it on. No, but even when it's on the whole time, then people will be like, oh, like, so I got in an accident, did the whole thing, you know? And I went to actually get the video, and it turns out there's no video there. And it was like, it was like <laughs> shit like that. And like, review it, review it, review it. This is the only, and the camera that I got, which is the one that then breaks in half if it gets too hot, was, was the only one where there were no negative reviews about trying to get losing to footage off of the thing. But there were a lot of negative reviews on that camera where people were like, the box it came in was slightly dented. You know, yeah. those kinds of one star reviews. Yeah, I like those ones. Yeah. Very helpful. So that's yeah, very helpful. Anyways, uh, I want to talk a little bit about morning pages. Okay. Before we get into these are studio sad stuff. pages. <laughs> morning. M O R I N I N G. Yes. Morning. That's your word of the day. Early time of the day. Mm-hmm. Morning. Uh, what's morning pages? You guys have done them. I think we've talked about them on the podcast. Yeah, before. I think we have. It's basically yeah. you just devote, I believe, about a half an hour, mm-hmm. 20 to 30 minutes or so. Yeah. Um, at the start of your day to just writing, to just write. And it's not about, it's not a journal necessarily. And it's also not, you're it's not, not a planner. Writing fiction. No, but it's, it's, it's just whatever. Just it's a like brain a word vomit. Just yeah. what are you thinking about at, in the morning? Mm-hmm. And just, you need to get it out there. And I, th- I did this last week and I found that, I don't know, I don't know if you, what you guys experience with this has been, but I found that it's really useful for a while. Yeah. Like once it's kind of like most things, it makes me think of the uh, Marie Kondo's uh, tidying up method of getting Mm -hmm. all the shit out of your closets. And then you're like, oh, that's a lot of garbage. Mm -hmm. And then you just like get rid of most of it. It's basically that, but for your brain, right? Because like 
the first thing you do is you just dump all the crap out there, and then you do that again the next day and the next day. And then pretty soon you're like, I'm fine now. I got, all the crap I got it there. all out of there. Um, so that's really useful. And I, I'd recommend it for anybody who just kind of feels like maybe they're kind of stuck on yeah. something mm-hmm. or like you're just kind of feeling weird about. Or if you, if you ever find yourself asking the question, why am I like this? Yep. Yeah. Maybe it's time to just sit down and think about it. Yeah, it's super which, good for just a mental tune-up, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, which brings me to the next point, which mm-hmm. is there's a book called Indistractable, which mm-hmm. Sam recommended I read. It's a good read. It's basically about you know not being distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, in this book, they reference this experiment where researchers would take somebody and put them in a room, and the only thing in that room, they'd just be sitting at a table, and the only thing in that room was basically like a shock wire where they're like, don't touch that. It'll shock. It'll shock you and it'll hurt. Um, And then they said, we'll be bringing in a survey shortly. And then they would just leave the person in that room for like 15 minutes before they finally brought them the survey to fill out. Of course, the survey was not the experiment. The experiment was, do people electrocute themselves? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) If they have nothing else to do. If they got nothing else to do. If if you just leave someone alone, I assume that they like put their cell phone in a bag or something before they came Mm -hmm. in or something like for cheating or something. Some guys, right? You want to make sure you want to make sure they got nothing to do. Right. And if people are just left alone sitting with their thoughts, then I think it was 60% of men and 25% of women would just electrocute themselves. Yeah. And many of them would do it multiple times uh, because I guess people just favor doing literally anything more than just thinking about – It goes back to those emo lyrics, which is I'd rather feel pain than nothing at all. You know? Yeah, I guess. It really is that. <laughs> and it's just the fact that like – yeah, I think I think um, the people who shock themselves multiple times too. I think it's just the fact that it is it's a novel sensation for one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, ooh, fuck, Al. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't actually cause any damage. Yeah. Right. So it is pain, but it's not dangerous actually in any sort of way. Yeah. Well, I mean, remember just being in high school and we'd it's like we'd like try to get each other to put nine volt battery on our tongues. Yep. Yeah, I do you all the time. Yep. Yeah. Even yeah. today, sometimes I'm like, I'll just open, I'll just see, open a bag of batteries. And you look at it and you're like, mm. yeah. And I'm like, yeah. should I lick it first <laughs> yeah. before I put it and in that, the fire detector? So I would actually argue against sort of the this this uh, this interpretation of this as somebody who doesn't want to be inside their own head, right? Because mm-hmm. that was not why I was electrocuting my tongue with an volt battery when I was in high school. <laughs> you know, it might have been. No, I don't. I really don't think it was. It was because like it was because that you're you're having this just. You just want to know. You just want to know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? So, because there's another interpretation of this, which is your brain seeks is, novel experience. It's not even that. Which is, which is, you walk into this room, and all that happens is somebody says, "There's a hot wire right there." Right? What are you going to think about after this happens? You're going to be obsessing yeah. about like this is like why the, is this hot wire here? Like, what is this? What is this yep. for? I wonder how hot it is. Like, so, so yeah. On the one hand, you could think, oh, the person's trying to not think about their own life or whatever, right? But really, probably they've been fixated on the thing that the experiment told them to fixate on. Mm-hmm. And at some point, that amount of fixation is going to make you go, like, I'm going to touch. I got to touch. I got to touch that wire. Well, it's an affordances thing, right? Where it's like there's this wire there, and it gives you the opportunity to feel something kind of weird. Yeah, you know. And I think most, yeah, I think probably a lot of people are just going to be like, yeah, I want to feel something weird. Because what's going on with sit here? Because like I didn't come here just to sit here. Yeah. What the fuck's yeah. going on? But I think I think the I think we can probably agree that sitting there and just thinking is kind of boring, mm-hmm. much more yeah. so than touching a live wire. Mm-hmm. And so this is where you know journaling or doing the morning pages is super useful because it actually gives you a thing to do, mm-hmm. right? So like it forces you to channel your thinking into an action. That then makes you just sit down and do it. So I don't know. It was just super useful. Yeah, I just cool. thought it was kind of a goofy uh, 
that study was kind of a goofy thing as I was doing the and morning the pages and reading like this. about this stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I like the idea. My favorite thing about those kinds of experiments is just that somebody thought to try it. Yep. Because yep. that, <laughs> that means somebody sat down and they thought. Or they, they were writing. Or they just had their morning journaling. Maybe they're in a waiting room. There's nothing to do except for touch an exposed outlet. Yeah. <laughs> and so they did it and they were like, I wonder if, I wonder if this is just me. Yep. You know? I don't know. Set up the experiment. And I wonder what the median is too. Like what's – for the people who did touch the wire, you know, what's the median amount of time that they – because the other thing is, is they say like, oh, 60% of people did it or whatever. Mm. Well, what if they were in there for an hour? Would it have been yeah. 100? Like how Probably. long will someone sit doing nothing – Yep, because it may actually it may literally just be a matter of time, not yeah, so a matter I, of. I do weather. wonder about this though, because I know the so that marshmallow experiment, the famous marshmallow experiment, where they basically were trying to use it as a as a way to measure people's ability to resist temptation. Uh, this was basically what they would do: is they sit a bunch of like preschool kids in a room, or one at a time, sorry, mm-hmm. um, with a marshmallow, mm-hmm. and then the presenter leaves, and they say, "If you can wait until I get back, you get two marshmallows." Right? Yeah, good deal. And so, uh, and they have videos of this now, which you can still watch online, which are hilarious because the kids basically engage in all sorts of techniques to try to not eat the marshmallow, right? They're like, they'll just turn around. Some of them will like poke it. Because there's nothing else going on in that room. Nothing yeah. else going on. It's the same it's sort of thing. Yeah, you fixated on the marshmallow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're so, bored. And some of them like, they'll like lick it and then put it back down, you know? And just sort of like, <laughs> they'll just do all sorts of hilarious shit. Um, and so, but the takeaway from it was then, uh, and then they tracked a lot of these kids over the course of their like school years. And so the question was, does does their performance during this marshmallow test correlate with how well they do in school and therefore SAT, ACT college? Like, does it, is it basically a predictor of your life, this marshmallow test? Now, the problem was that um, what it, they thought they were measuring willpower. But what it turned out they were measuring, um, some other experimenters came in later on, which I think this this part of the study has not been told. It's, it wasn't as popular to come out later mm-hmm. on, right, as, as is always the problem with science. And so – what they found, though, is that what it was actually measuring was people's trust in adults. Yeah, measuring your, your authoritarian tendencies. Yes, your trust in the system. And so people who trusted that the adult would actually come back and bring them a second marshmallow tended to wait, right? Yeah, these are also the same people who tend to, like, go through school and yep. do, yeah, do all those yep. things. So it's, yeah how, yeah, how good are you at just following directions, basically? Well, how, it's, it's more so just do you trust that if you're given directions to follow that there will actually be a reward? That is actually the reward you were promised, right? Right. Um, and so it's a completely different thing. So what they did then to to do that was the the person that they had sort of you know giving the giving the marshmallow over at the beginning would sort of as they always do you know manipulate for making it seem like they were definitely like a flighty person who's not going to actually do this versus like being very secure. And so yeah, it turns out they're measuring actually something completely different than what it seemed like at the outset. Yeah, and that that was that made a lot more sense when you looked at sort of the long term. This also makes me think of this. Th- there's been a lot of studies on willpower, mm-hmm. and almost all of them have turned out to be garbage. Yeah, yeah. Because um, there was also there was a st- which is actually is true of almost all studies. Almost all studies. Yeah, yeah. because it, it's that uh, that bias inherent in academic research, which is if you've got the the uh, p value of 0.05 criteria, which is basically saying like statistically there's only a five percent chance that. We've got a, like a, an inaccurate result, right? Like a false positive or a false negative mm-hmm. or something. And so, uh, so then the media tends to only pick up on positive results, and people tend to only submit positive results to journals. So, like if a hundred different groups all do the same study, and five of them end up getting mm-hmm. these weird positive results, then boom! All of a sudden, you got five papers published that all say the same thing, and they say that this effect is real. And then the other ones don't really get picked up on, right? The other 95 studies. Because the trick is when you see that p-value, you don't actually know how many experiments were really done. Right. You only know how many you did. And there's also very rarely replication studies because people need to get 
funding for things and funding tends to go to new experiments, not to like, hey, we don't know. We don't know if this is true. So we want to redo this experiment that somebody else did and see if we get the same result. There was a big project, I think like 10 years ago or something, and I think in psychology where yeah, they, they debunked like half. Yeah, they, they took they took a huge suite of some of the most mm-hmm. well-known studies from like the past 50 years and then did replication on them. They got and they got funding to do it so they could do the whole thing. And it, it was it was I think it was way more than more than half. It was like eighty <laughs> percent or something. Yeah, it, was it was crazy. Uh, it was a tremendous amount yeah, of research. They couldn't replicate almost any of the research basically that yep. at that time. And so yeah, there was a there was a, a lot of studies on willpower over the past decade or so. People talking about things like Oh, if somebody like eats a chocolate bar, then they are like their – or if they eat sugar, then their mm-hmm. willpower is replenished and like they do better on like willpower-related uh, experiments and stuff. That's not true. Uh, none of these things are true. It's all – or maybe it is. I don't know. Let's we don't like know. This. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. We're all just doing our best over here, yeah. you know? But there was there was one thing that, that – uh, I think it was in the Indistractable book. There was one thing that, that they did manage to uh, replicate – which was that for people who believe that willpower is a finite resource, their willpower runs out all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's actually a very strong well, placebo effect. Yeah, well, there's uh, really that's, that's by a nocebo effect, right? Right. In that case. Yeah. Yeah. There's a really interesting point there, which is it's made in uh, Sapiens as well, which is that really good, really interesting sort of uh, history of humanity book, um, it's, which is, you know, it has its own troubles and opinions, but it's really, really good sort of uh, – piece on it because a lot of what they talk about has how humans make these things that don't exist right so whether it's money or states or like they don't actually exist in in a real sort of sense but then we all just agree that they we've all agreed they do but then they they do exert real power on so they end up existing in a, in a real sort of way um by virtue of everybody believing in them mm-hmm. and so it's interesting with the science stuff because even though like like you said you know some massive chunk of most psychology was debunked essentially um, the truth is like some of it was probably used for policy. Some of it was probably used to do like a whole variety of different things. Um, and maybe some of those actually got positive maybe, results yeah, exactly. as so well, like, well, just on accident know. or whatever. Yep. I don't know. Just do whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's talk about some studio stuff. I want to talk about level head. We got a patch coming. We do. This patch has a bunch of stuff. We got two new enemies. These enemies are chumps, meaning they just walk around. Yep. That's their whole thing. Uh, but they have one extra special property, which is once you defeat them, they become throwable. Mm-hmm. So this is our sort of answer to like the Koopa shell uh, concept. With a, and it, There's a couple weird things about it. One is GR18 cannot pick up giant things, but you can make these enemies really big. And so they also have this weird property where when you jump on them, they shrink. Mm-hmm. So they kind of like foop, they kind of like shrink down. So that's kind of weird. Um, and then also you can continuously re-grab them even while they're moving around because you got a grappling hook. So you can do all kinds of crazy tricks. You can like surf on them and do weird mm-hmm. shit. So we're excited about that. Uh, we've also got fireballs that you can just put in the level because we forgot to do that. Yeah, it's great. I think Specchio actually had that idea. Yeah. In the Discord and I was like, yeah. We've got yeah. fire that like shoots out of things and did even think stuff. about that. We never thought about just like giving people just a fireball that they can yeah. just put somewhere. Did you figure out how to make a move in a way that felt good? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because um, I think when I left to go on a trip over the weekend, like you were like trying to figure that out still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's still not quite where I want it, but uh, it's got to be good enough anyway. at a certain yeah. point. Uh, so we got that. And then we've also got chests, like gold, like uh, key chests. It's just a big chest. You can put stuff in it, and then somebody's got to use a key to open it. So now we've got, kind of got this interesting treasure mechanic. And then last, we have key switches, which is a switch 
that you put a key card into and it flips the switch. And what's weird about this is this allows you to create a limited use switch that can have as many toggles as you want. So if you give somebody five keys, they can flip that switch five times. So you can make like weird things, puzzles, like logic puzzles. Mm -hmm. Someone Uh, was something cool. Someone's going to do some weird stuff with these. Uh, We've kind of, we've kind of landed with a lot of these mechanics on this thing. Like we can't really, we're not really sure what people, what people are going to use this for, but it does things. Yeah. Which means people are going to do weird shit. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's always been, it's always a trip making the campaign levels even because you just, so like as, as I go through designing those and of course I'm, I'm really just trying to hit the major beats of like what the the thing is for in like a very solid, obvious sense. Um, But usually throughout then I'm coming up with all these ways. It's like, Oh, okay. So you could probably also use this for X, Y, or Z, but I'm not going to build a whole campaign level out of that. So we get to wait and see, when the community picks discover. up on it and then starts doing stuff with that. Yep. Um, and so it's kind of this, there's interesting delineation in the campaign between like, and between what things are shown as sort of uh, almost like your canon of the move set and how you use these items versus then all the really interesting other stuff that the community finds. Um, yeah. You know, what's important versus what's sort of extra. Yeah. And we kind of have to just, we kind of just recognize basically we've made a toy. Yeah. And we don't really know what people are going to, do with it mm-hmm. so we just come up with stuff and these are the five-ish things that we got this time i don't know we'll see what happens uh, but they're all super cool and interesting yeah. so i'm excited mm-hmm. um we're also working on moving level head through uh cert so we're we got in switch cert right yeah now. so we got yeah. the process underway for uh for switching xbox we're working toward that stuff um which brings us to the update schedule yes so we've been on the bi-weekly update schedule for quite a we started on weekly which was weekly for six weeks, I think, yeah, which was super useful for that, that early stage of like getting all the kinks out, um, rapid, small improvements and bug fixing and stuff like that. Um, and then we kind of got into more of like the content push stage, which is tons of new items, overhauls to the web functions, uh, more campaign levels, that kind of stuff. Now we're hitting the point where we've got some big stuff that we got to take care of. And we're also in the kind of mature phase of early access where a lot of our focus is on cross-platform support, getting things ready for, for uh, consoles and all that kind of stuff. Yes. And so we're, we're going to be figuring out the actual timelines of things, but probably by the time this podcast goes live, we're also going to be posting a, a patch notes for this, this week's patch and then an update to the patch schedule, which is probably going to spread the patches out more yeah. uh, mm-hmm. so that we can have the time. It's like one, one example is we're working on this concept of sub-levels and that is probably a 40-hour project and we've had it now in the works for six weeks mm-hmm. and we're four hours in because yeah, we can only get a little bit done right per because time. we have to be we have to be mm-hmm. getting content out every two weeks um under the current schedule and as long as that's true we can't flip our focus over to some of these bigger game-changing features yeah and there's still a few do. of them there's about three or four of them left that we want to get in before launch so yeah yeah so it, <clears throat> what we're thinking about doing is actually stretching all the way out to about a month for uh patch scheduling and there might be hot fixes and stuff in between, but mainly what the, what that's going to give us the room to do is, is both, you know, work on the, all the pre-launch activities that we have to do just to get the game up and running on Xbox switch, et cetera. Uh, and then mainly is actually to be able to build a few more of these bigger features. It's actually the exact same reason why we switched to the two week cycle back before was we were like, Oh, we actually, we just need more time to be able to do the things we need to do. Um, and even this patch, like this patch is coming in hot. Like it's got five or like four or five new items in it. And um, most of them were totally finished as of like Friday, as in a couple days ago. 
and now they can get like guy get like shoved into the campaign and tested and all this other stuff. And so, which gives us a day to test them, a day to get them into beta, and then they're out. Yeah. yeah. So after the podcast, like I'm gonna go build a bunch of levels, like a freaking maniac. We're, we're really, we're really riding that line. Yeah. So every so often we're coming a little too hot, and um, and the features we have left are big, and so it's like we're we're definitely and they'll need a lot of testing. Yeah. So so we're gonna be stretching things out a little bit more. Um, but again, that's it's just the whole effort there is to make it so we can deliver some of these bigger, crazier things to the user base as opposed to some of these smaller things here and there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll have more information about that uh, a little bit, I guess, probably when the podcast comes out or around, around that mm-hmm. time. Um, okay, and then otherwise, uh, I've been working on my GDC talks. Spent some time this past weekend doing that. I got two talks in. One is about uh, buttery smooth platforming mechanics, which we're calling forgiveness mechanics, mm-hmm. um, which we've talked about in the, in the past. But it's, it's basically the concept of, of biasing a game's behavior to give favorable outcomes to the player whenever possible. So if it seems like a player is trying to like jump up and squeeze through a gap, let them do that. You know, if they're jumping past a, a hazard, maybe give them a little bit of extra wiggle room so they can kind of like squeeze past the, the hazard. Mm-hmm. So it's actually going to be a little bit of a technical talk about kind of that stuff. And then also adjust for just for human reaction time of about five milliseconds, right? So that uh, it's more like it's more like a tenth of a second. Is. Yeah, it's like a hundred um, milliseconds. It's it's, it's significant, right? Yeah. Um, People so, are slow. <laughs> yeah, so, so adjusting for that, so because a player will always feel like they did a thing at the right time, but they actually did it somewhere between a tenth of a second before and a tenth of a second after they were supposed to do it. Yeah. So um, so yeah, part of the talk is too is about is about learning about both like before and after forgiveness mechanics and biasing people's inputs. So like, it's not about what somebody. Which, which I think the, mo- the most interesting point about all that is people talk about a game being responsive. And if you use like a, a sort of like a dictionary or literal definition of responsive, it would just be like the game does exactly what you tell it to do. Um, but when somebody says that a game isn't responsive, uh, what they mean is the game didn't do what I wanted it to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It always does exactly what you tell it to do. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the problem is, is like actually flipping over to learning about what it means to make a game that responds to the player's intent not right. not just their inputs so i got to talk about that and then i got to talk i'm working on about devops which is just like us working through all of our weird uh problems as a company trying to figure out how to get our production in order to like have a qa team and all that stuff so that's been fun to work on um and i'm hoping that these talks get through and yeah, then see. and then yep. maybe they'll end up on youtube <laughs> if i do a good job with them i think you got it. i think you'd be good yeah it's gonna be good talks mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see uh all right, and then industry news. PlayStation crossplay. Oh yes, it came out of quote beta. Yeah, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Right, because right. you've been blocking we gotta, it. We got to. <laughs> I'm gonna go on a explain rant. Explain the concept first. Okay, crossplay: the ability to in multiplayer. If you're on one console or PC or whatever, play with people on a different console or PC or whatever. Yes. Uh, so that's crossplay from a multiplayer perspective. And historically. Yeah. Uh, Sony has not allowed this to be true on PlayStation 4. Yes. Except play- for with uh, things like Fortnite. Uh-huh. Right. So that's like the only one they opened up to one or two other people. Yep. On PlayStation 3, they allowed it mm-hmm. because PlayStation 3 was second playing second fiddle yes. to Xbox 360. Which at the time, I think, also did not allow did not. So, So the sort of historical record shows that whoever is winning the console war in any given generation – becomes uh, sort of like a monopolistic wiener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what you do. That's exactly <laughs> what you do. So, so they were doing that, and then they announced, they're like, oh, we opened it up. It's out of beta, which again is weird because the reality is that it actually takes energy to block these yeah, things. Yeah, there's nothing there to test. Yeah. 
Yeah, as a uh, developer, if you want to keep people from doing quote crossplay, you've got to a- add code to keep them from doing it. Because yes. by default, shit just connects to the internet. Yep. And, yep. and that's all that needs no, to happen. You have to add stuff to do it. You also have to figure out because you have to understand fully the parameters of the requirement. Yep. Because they they may also require entire changes to your infrastructure so that you can handle so that you can so match you can making or you can handle matchmaking so you can prevent things from interacting with, with each other that otherwise achievements. would or achievements. Like if somebody um, plays a game and gets an achievement on an Xbox and then they open up a PlayStation, should they get the same achievement? Yeah. Which historically PlayStation has said no. And so so if you had set up your set of, of achievements and then allowed for cross play on your game. Then if somebody went and unlocked an achievement on Steam or whatever, so say, save an achievement for beat the game, right? Mm-hmm. And somebody gets it on Steam. Uh, then they go over to to PlayStation, they boot up the game. Uh, well, they've beaten the game, but PlayStation doesn't allow you to have progress from a different console mm-hmm. carry over. Is So actually, that's not true. The progress. In very specific cases, you can allow the progress to carry over. But not the achievement. But not the achievement. The achievement has to be earned on the device. It has to be earned on the device. So, and so another question is, okay, does that mean you have to actually monitor the entirety of the playtime for a cross-play game, right? And say, okay, at every step of the way in this save, the person was only on PlayStation, and then they beat the game, therefore they can get right. it. Or you, or you have like can't. two separate achievement systems or multiple separate achievement systems, you know, one for each platform. But then yeah. from a player perspective, you're not thinking about it. Yeah, it doesn't like, make so you, sense. It's, it's like, weird it's and a terrible, yeah. stupid So like you play, you, play like a, you beat some boss on your phone, and then you move over to PlayStation, and you continue playing the same save or something. And then you look at your achievements, and it's like, beat this boss. You haven't earned that achievement, mm-hmm. but I, I did beat it. And now yeah. also you can't because your progress is you know yeah, beyond that point in the right. story. In, in, <laughs> yeah. Any story-based game, you typically cannot go yeah. back and re-, re So if you're wondering why uh, we haven't been on there yet, this is actually why. Yeah, because uh, you can't do this because of the cross cross, cross play issues. Um, so I, I did think it was funny. It was very clever framing on the part of Sony. Yeah, that it's out of it's beta. out of beta. Yeah, um, which and, well, is, and that's their and their 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 stance the whole time has been mm-hmm. that we don't think that that we worry about the user experience from allowing for this because we don't know what those other platforms are doing, and so if we just allow stuff mm-hmm. to come in all willy nilly, like they never specified what it was they were worried about. They just they just had this vague. Vague umbrella that the other platforms are well, not. No, the, ex- the user experience they're worried about is that people will experience other platforms. Other platforms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's Just exactly right. Being able to play a game on another platform, which actually then brings us to the the core note about this, which is uh, it's all it's always been the case that exclusives is the thing that drives a platform. Mm-hmm. So, like Epic knows this. This is why they're pushing really hard for exclusives on the Epic Store. This is why, like, the God of War series gets, like, totally funded by Sony as an yes. exclusive. Specific games are what drive platform adoption. This is why people buy a Switch just to play Breath of the Wild, mm-hmm. yep. you know. Um, exclusives are super important for the health of a given platform. Without them, the platform is, is literally mm-hmm. pointless, right? Because you can just get the same game anywhere. So why would you go buy a new platform to play the same games you've been right. playing the whole time? Um, so the one extra edge that that Sony, I guess, believed it had was that if a bunch of your friends have a PlayStation uh, and you want to play, you know, whatever with them, you cannot Fortnite, Fortnite yeah. or Rocket League. Or Even something. if it's not an exclusive title, they can make your they can make your network. Exclusive. They will isolate you from your friends yeah. until you mm. fork over five hundred dollars or whatever and get right. to a PlayStation. Um, and so now that that is apparently no longer going to be the case. Now it's all about the exclusives. But the truth is, it always was. It always was. Because, yeah. I mean, this this has been a – it's been a goofy fabrication on Sony's part for the last couple of years that this is mm-hmm. a meaningful distinction in any way to not have the crossplay available. So <clears throat> I'm glad that they're finally, you know, uh, allowing it. 
but um, it's it's interesting. You mean that they've enabled the technology? Yeah, <laughs> they brought it out of all their intense beta testing. Yeah, which really, yeah, but yeah. So the, <laughs> the framing on it was just so silly. Well, they had to because because the only because the only of course you have to because you can't frame that any other way. No, because the real point. justification was we're trying to make as much money as possible, and we think which is fine. We okay, think that cool. if we don't let you play the game with your friends, then you will buy a PlayStation. Yeah. Like that is the exact business reason yeah. they did it. And you, they can't just come out and say that. Yeah. So they. It would be kind of kind of cool if they did, though. I mean, honestly, just be everybody like, knows. Everybody like, why, knows. Why yeah. not just say it? Just say it. Be like, look, we we don't want you to be able to play with your friends unless you give us money. Yeah, it's really straightforward. Because <laughs> it's it's at least honest at that point. You yeah. Know? And weirdly enough, sounds kind of fair in that context. Where you're like, look, I mean, yeah. Which also, like, I mean, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, man- hey, your business. That's your job is yeah. make money. I get it. So you guys know Manifold Garden. Yes. So that that came to mm. Epic as an Epic. Is that out now? Oh, cool. Exclusive. I don't know. It was announced. It was announced. It was announced Epic, yeah. I don't okay. think it's there yet. But, but it's been in development for at least seven years. Has it been on Steam for like seven years? Yes. Wow. Okay. For oh. for pre order. Yeah. Or it's been that, it's been going. Anyway. It's been going for a long time. And and I mean back in 2015, which was four years ago, we were at Indie PopCon showing yeah. Crashlands, and we met um, the manifold Willie, yeah. we, Willie, the manifold garden developer. Mm-hmm. He was several years in at that point, and the game was very different then from what mm-hmm. it was the year before, and very different then from what it is now. It's a big game. It's a huge game. He's been iterating on it like crazy. It looks beautiful. It just seems like a weird mind trip, mm-hmm, basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, he got uh, a deal for an Epic exclusive and of course people gave him all kinds of shit about it. Um, and he made a, a YouTube video sort of explaining his, his position cause he felt that was necessary to like maybe sure. stem the tide of death threats, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and he was very refreshing cause he was like, why, why did I do this money? You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, very he's like, yeah. he's like, I've spent seven, whatever years building this game. Uh, and all, all I've managed to do is like secure like a grant for like a hundred K or something like that. And that's actually recoupable. Yeah. So he actually, like, he's got to pay all that back anyway. And, and so essentially he's been like doing all this work pro bono or like for free. And then he's also got like contractors. He's working with all this stuff. So he's kind of laying all this out and he's like, I need the money. Yeah, yeah he, he has to be he has to be able to back pay himself plus any contractors, et cetera, for seven years of labor. Right. Yeah. And also create a runway for whatever is going to happen next. Right. And so there's a lot of money. I mean, the, the idea that that he should just not take the money is just it's just insane. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and so there, there's another kind of angle to this that I want to kind of maybe touch on, which is like mm-hmm. a lot of people are are now describing exclusive games as anti-consumer. Mm. And I'm wondering what that means and what you guys think about that framing. I think it's an easy framing to pull on to without any sense of uh, what that actually means in this context, right? right. So, well, the so, anti-consumer just means I don't, I'm not getting what I want. Yeah. That's, that's what they mean by it. Yeah. Which is the specific right. thing I'm talking so, about. So, yeah, I would consider anti-consumer to be like somebody poisoned your water supply by drilling under your house or some shit. And that's that's pretty fucking bad. Mm-hmm. Or they've got some kind of fucked up uh, well, like I think it's any, predatory any, refund policy or something. Yeah, I think it's any any sort of monopolistic or predatory thing kind of be. thing, right? Yeah. Um, and exclusives can fall into that category if if – depending on the barrier to entry, right? So if you are – if you can but, – but even then I don't think it really is because it's – it doesn't make any sense to say like, well, okay, PlayStation funded this some game, right? Like yeah, I mean, God, God of War, War right? Like, yeah, like 
like the game wouldn't have existed if they didn't fund it yeah. and make it an exclusive. Yeah, Correct. it's it's a, and it's a, it's a Sony property. It makes sense for them to put it on their platform, et cetera. Uh, but weirdly, though, you don't really see people refer to that as anti-consumer. Yes. Right. It's ju- it's pretty much just the epic. It's story. just the epic. <laughs> the story. one where it the costs one, you nothing to, yeah, exactly. to get. <laughs> yeah, that's why I, I think it's a nonsense argument. It really yeah. is. Yeah. There's yeah, because it, the fact is that people are just really unhappy with it, um, and they they need reasons. Well, to me, so it's, it's weirdly enough, it's it's close enough to the Sony PR thing, where it's like you don't have to say like. So if Willie came out and he was like, he tried to be like, it's just going to run best on the Epic's platform. Everybody would be like, what? No, yeah, like, no that's not on, true. Man. Yeah, but the fact that he's super honest about, it, like you said, it's very refreshing, and everyone's like, yeah, I get it. Um, to me, it's well, the same thing with this whole but... this whole anti consumer thing, where it's like, quit, quit it, like quit saying that it's about anti consumerism. Like you just don't like you don't like the fact that you have to deal with this other storefront, and that's fine. That's like it. you could just it can be that. as simple as that. Well, okay. well, and the other angle on it too is is if not for these kinds of business deals, these products wouldn't exist. Yeah, a lot yeah. Of them. well, especially and there's nothing for you to consume. You can't yeah. be a consumer of nothing, especially right? in today's <laughs> business market, right? Um, and, and so I, I think a lot of a lot of that rhetoric too, that whole anti-consumer thing, um, is coming from the same sort of not necessarily people, but the same kind of mindset. That says that people shouldn't get paid for their work because they should do it for passion. If you're making video games, if you're writing mm-hmm. books, or doing whatever, um, I did see that. that argument thrown at uh, Willie in particular. Yes. Yeah, which is really he's been yeah. working for seven years for free. Like I think he's got the passion. <laughs> I think <laughs> that fact, part is covered. Yeah, I mean, the fact is that if <laughs> if you truly believe that somebody should just should just make work for you for your enjoyment for your enjoyment, uh, because it's the craft that they prefer to have mm-hmm. you're just an asshole there's, there's <laughs> yeah. no way yep there's no way around it, it is a is a crazy stance to take it, it, yeah and it, we've seen this stuff also with like george R. R. martin and other people you know mm-hmm. where where people feel like because he made you know the first five books in the series and they liked them and they liked them now he oh he literally owes them those you know yeah. the rest of the series right and of course like i'm bummed that those books don't exist yet definitely. but also he can do whatever the fuck he wants yeah he is, <laughs> he is not my property you know yeah. just because i bought some of his fucking books that is mm-hmm. that is a wild stance to take and mm-hmm. it is it is that is that is uh anti, actually it's anti-human in the in the grossest it's just horrible it's almost a half-life three situation with George R. R. Martin, which is like honestly, he can't. Now, he can't write those books. He can't write them. Yeah, yeah. There, there's absolutely no. no way that he could ever deliver what people want. Well, this is part. Of, this is part of the problem with a rabid fandom too, right? Is it gets is, too? It gets too violent, actually. So, <laughs> so that I mean, it really does because you look at like the Star Wars movies and stuff too, right? Which were like objectively better than the first Star Wars movies, like the newest ones, yeah, right? I, um, I like and them. I really enjoyed them, but they are still just like kind of goofy star wars action movies yeah. now there's like there's not a, there's not a lot of substance there you know the not a lot of uh continuity and there's all mm-hmm. kinds of problems right um but it's about it's having about a good space time wizards, it's about space man, wizards, come you know, on. <laughs> uh, but you get that you get that sort of rabid set of the fandom though that then starts sending death threats to certain actors and like you know right right and and, and we've gone too far the death threats yeah. thing i'm just like can we can we just agree that that's not well? It's just all because because to me to actually that's this. that's not even the most to me the worst one is the is this just the constant bullying you know yeah because um, the death threats are just they're so they're, it's so dumb that I don't really I don't believe it you know right. but but it it's gonna it's gonna chip away at your soul if, it does yeah you know because like is there, yeah that, that there's a couple like one of the one of the actresses on the newest trilogy mm. just like had to leave Twitter and had to like get it because because everybody just like hated her for no reason because they were just a bunch of assholes mm-hmm. and they, you know it's just. Why? It's just <laughs> could you just fucking quit it? Can we not just enjoy the things people are making? Yeah. And uh, you know, that's fine. 
Or just don't. And that's or don't and just yeah. go do something else. It's, it's, yeah. this, it's this very weird thing where just the, where the, the people who love the thing the most become the enemies of that thing who actually – who now become vitriolic and hate the, hate it. They hate it now, right? Yeah. And it's really like when I – you know, you hear uh, – uh, when you, every time you now hear the word like gamer being used seriously, it's with somebody who seems to hate video games. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. It's like yeah. all they can talk about is how much they, they hate, hate developers. They, they hate, hate developers, games. hate the game. Well, and actually, if you go to any uh, uh, games subreddit, yeah. it's the, the longer a, ga- a community exists, mm-hmm. like a gaming community, um, the more negative the, the community slants toward the thing, which is also really interesting. And I, th- I think part of that too is is without really aggressive moderation of communities like that, um, you get sort of like this upswelling of of negativity, which actually pushes out people who are just there to have a good time, yes, yeah. right? And so, and then it feeds on itself. After yeah, that. Say, oh, that's not that's like this. But this is place. This place is for complaining, right? right. Or or being upset about. Something. Or just like, well, I like the game. I don't really like being in the, in this forum yeah. where everybody's mad all the time. Right. So I'm just gonna yep. go, you know, be quiet and play it and enjoy. Um, <laughs> So anyway, just kind of a weird sidebar. What a trip! Yeah, yeah there was I, actually my my wife had found some. I don't know, it was a I think on Twitter or something. I don't know, but there was a there was an audio clip or maybe a video clip of a of a I think a wrestler like a like WWE wrestler or something um, talking about the toxic fandom because of course mm. this exists everywhere. It exists mm-hmm. in wrestling. It exists in everything. And it was, and it was really just like beautiful, eloquent like description of of what the problem was because he actually because he he just came out and said that he hates he hates those fans. He hates them. Mm-hmm. Right, the ones who are being mean to everybody yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, he, and he hates that they exist and he hates everything about them right? and he came out and he just said that and he, and, and he said the reason is, Ooh, is because, you don't say that uh well who knows what happened after that but uh but it was basically because he said you know most the vast majority of people who like go watch wrestling in this case uh are just there to have a good time they're they, great they honestly don't know that much about it right yeah. they they don't follow it obsessively they don't know all the, the they don't know all the arcs they don't know all the stuff they're just there to have a, a great time and they know just enough to have a great time and that's it. And then you have this tiny but very just hateful subset and they're just hateful. There's like – Why does it get hateful? It's so weird because uh, yeah. now there's – I don't know if it's the sense of like now now you owe me like continuity of story, right? Or now you owe me the vision that I have for how this was supposed to go or whatever. But it's, it's, and it's that same sort of mindset that says – uh, because you are an artist, you have to make things for me. Right? Well, I think. Like, I think actually, part of what it is is that a lot of the strategy, the strategy as as all these markets have heated up, where it's harder and harder to survive, is to create products and to create um, whether it's a game or with wrestling or whatever else, where you create something that actually becomes part of someone's identity. Yeah, is really what it, what it is. Yeah. And so, um, if it becomes a principal identity for that person, mm-hmm. then actually it makes perfect sense why if that identity gets threatened in some way. Yeah, if you're a gamer first and yeah, a person right, right, second, exactly. Right? If, if, like, yeah. if you or if you just play like Destiny, for example, yeah, and then they change something about Destiny that actually does kind of fuck it up, then yeah, it, it actually messes with your. It literally messes with. Well, your that, that's the thing is, it doesn't even have to fuck it up. It just has to be different than what right. you have experienced before, or what you want it to be. Yeah. Or, but I think usually the thing is that the the market pushes things in this way because of yeah. how intense it is, where you can't. It's not like you can easily just make like a you know small games now and just sort of throw them out and people can bob around and play them. Like you have you have to make more intense products essentially yep. to be able to stand out and compete in the market. And so you end up having this really weird thing where it's like, okay, in order for everybody to survive, you have to make these really you know broad, intense products that allow people to form an identity around them. But, but then the, but that the problem means- is they are products, which means they have a life cycle. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so like they they have a point, I mean they have a point where they they're in the growth stage, which is where the the fandom is like accumulating mm-hmm. around it, and then they hit some kind of a peak, and things kind of taper off, 
And then at, toward the tail end, as things are, are sort of like winding down, that's, I think, where things start to get a little weird. Things start to get weird, right? Because in games, that phase uh, usually looks like uh, a cash extraction phase. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's like, oh, well, uh, I mean, I, I think I think thinking back on Blizzard's, uh, I think it was like 2014 or something mm-hmm. when they stopped announcing subscriber numbers because they were just losing so many subscribers. And then they they made an uh, announcement to their in their earnings call, quarterly earnings call saying like, well, the thing is subscriber numbers don't matter anymore because we're still making a lot more money out of the people who are right. left. Right. And uh the, the people who were still there were were pretty mad about this, like basically being viewed in that way by this company that made this game that they loved. And for a lot of World of Warcraft players, like you said, this is this is the identity that they've built up. Like this is their yeah. hobby. This is where the friend groups are. Yeah, but point is like you you don't see this happening in games that aren't treated as a service and the games that are like one shot single player experiences, like Breath of the Wild, for example. Like I don't think there's going to be a contingent of people. Over time, who are getting more and more mad about it, like right. because it's it done. just is what it is, it is and it's it is not going to change much yeah. if well, at all. And, and, and that series is a good job of being wildly inconsistent. Anyway, <laughs> they can do whatever <laughs> they want. They just this, like, this time it's a cartoon game, and you're on a boat. No, yeah. true. Like, <laughs> I love Nintendo. <laughs> Nintendo can do whatever they want. Well, it's great because th- they're like, we, you know what? You have we have these characters. You like them. We're going to put them in a bunch of weird. Mario's playing tennis now. Yeah, let's go play some tennis. And one's like, yes. And so I think it's just fantastic. Mario, and wait, and, and okay. Mario, you can see Mario's nipples for the first time. Yeah, that's another thing that happened. Yes. He's on a beach. Yeah. Yes. Finally, after 30 years, we've got yep. the high diff Mario nipples. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing. So I think it's it's one of those things where it's like I love that they do that because I think it's it's true that it it's just refreshing, frankly. It um, is. Yeah. So do you? Th- see th- so if kind of if you do the the games as a service, that's where the risk. Do you comes. think the ri- yeah? So there's a, there's a risk of sort of taking the the product or the game in a direction that ends up creating a lot of anger. It's I, think not, it's, I don't think it's that. I think it's the more you can create a culture around the product, right? Yeah. Um, because like Star Wars was not a game, it was not a service, yes. right? Star Wars was a right. trilogy that came out in the seventies or eighties, whenever it was, uh, and it was just the kind of thing that just like hit people just right that they just They're like, oh fuck yeah, space wizards. Yeah, they yeah. just they just fucking <laughs> love that that universe yeah. existed, and so that that spawned then an entire industry, basically a perpetual industry around that movie because now now of course they make a bunch of toys and stuff and now kids are playing with the toys all the time they're making up their own little fantasies about how that works people start writing fan fiction and then and then real, real fiction yeah. comes out as well that uh and and so the whole so, so that 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 thing as an entity existed in all forms of media it has existed and still exists and it only has been growing you know ever since mm-hmm. and so it's become a it has its own culture so i guess just the longer something is around pretty much well, and, and the and more being worked on, I think, important. Yeah, right. and, and that's a, and that stems from how much depth the thing either can or does have, right? Because the thing about it, like a Nintendo game, uh, not to knock Nintendo, but there's no depth in their games, right? There's there's some complexity you mean in gameplay, of it? or even no, because like, even like Zelda, right? Mm-hmm. Like like there's not a lot of story, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like well, well, not, I mean, there's, there's a lot to do. It's like a, a very, it's a very deep game. There's, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of depth there, but I think what you're getting at is and there's some cool characters, but there's not like a it's not like Game it, of Thrones level of it, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't create <laughs> right. It doesn't create a universe of of like of obvious, not even obvious, but just like yeah. I'm I trying don't, to I think I disagree with it because I mean I, I think I see what you're trying to get at. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think because I mean something like like Breath of the Wild or I mean just Zelda generally. I think the reason why Breath of the Wild was so exciting was because it actually gave that feeling for the first time. Yeah. of creating a whole world around Zelda as opposed to these almost like vignette style things, right? Yeah. Where there's you just see these little moments here and there. 
Um, and it's also why I think uh, Majora's Mask. What was one of the creepy moon that we played on N64? It was the Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time. Because you had to go back in time using the Song of Time to yeah. get the moon to go back. But even that one, like uh-huh. that one felt amazing because it actually had a similar sort of feel to it. Yeah. Like, boom, like the, the world kind of opened up. Yeah. Um, but I think I think with those products, like there's not – it's it there's plenty of – Depth, but there's not. Um, I don't know how to get at that. Yeah, what is it? It's a thing like depth, but it isn't. It's not that, yeah. right? It's it's complication. Seems to be, maybe I don't know. Yeah, there's something there. There's not a lot of complexity. Maybe that's the thing. Yeah. In the stories, you mean? Yeah, yeah. That's I probably don't think anyone can argue that. That's probably fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff. Interesting, yes, yeah. very interesting. Uh, but in terms of like all this back and forth and weird complexity, but I guess maybe right. Star Wars even. Well, Star Wars doesn't, but Star Wars like isn't as a story doesn't really right. Mm-hmm. But but the the world in which it lives is like very. Con- there's like all this political intrigue and there's it, this long history of of uh, they of, got like the of, trade federation and blockades. Yeah, there's like all this stuff that's mostly actually just hinted at. Mm-hmm. And this is even true if you you know if you're looking at this in like Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. a, a huge amount of the content isn't in the book. It's just stuff that's hinted at when they refer to. They refer to the uh, – I can't remember the name. It's been a long time since I read that stuff. But they just refer to things as mm. if like everybody in the world knows what those things are, right? And there's this apparent just deep, deep, deep history that you can tell you're just getting a glimpse into. And there's all these hints at how just complicated and, and expansive this like real universe is that has been created. But honestly, if you think about the Star Wars prequels, the the ones from the 2000s, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, those did go into a lot of depth about yeah, the yeah. politics and, and people were not into it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause like well, it was, they were as fun. It That's was much truth. better when it was like a dad and his son light versus dark and his hand gets chopped Very off. And then there's yeah. a weird puppet guy. Living yeah, but, but then you're hinting at the rest, right? You're just right. Like, you're, But yeah. once you actually look at the rest, and like make a movie around people are like, no, that's not my thing. Yeah. yeah. But as long as you and McGregor's involved, you know, it's cool. Yeah, there's something there. I don't know how to talk about it. Though, so. All, right, yeah. all right, we need to. Well, all right, we'll just let that sit. Let that simmer. Yeah, I uh, think about that a bit. But that's an interesting, interesting train of thought. We got to hit some questions because mm-hmm. we're running out of time. Uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bsketch.net. Highest voted question comes from Gua. Has a bad game that you've played ever generated a good idea for your game, or were you only inspired by good games? And if it if it did, can you share some examples? Mm, I would say definitely yes. Um, there's that game. Well, I guess it depends what you mean by bad. It's harder to find bad games. Well, you also don't play bad games, you know, because like you start playing a bad game, you're like, fuck this. But <laughs> I think that's important there because like very, I would say very few games are on their on their face, just like just bad, quote unquote, right? Yeah. Um. Usually, it's that there's there's a couple pieces in there that aren't quite jiving or something's weird about it or whatever else. So, um, it's mainly that I mean, there's plenty of quote-unquote bad mechanics that have inspired us to do things in like a whole variety of ways. I mean, even things like the, the easiest one for me is um, the example of Crashlands having infinite inventory. Yeah, that's because, where I was going to yeah, go. Yeah, frankly, like I still kind of believe that that to varying degrees, inventory management, depending on the game, inventory management, kind of bad. Like it's not exactly mm-hmm. a fun user experience. Um, that said, after having played Crashlands, having played a bunch of other crafting games, um, there's some interesting nuance there, which I, I do think that if you don't have a super limited inventory, so if you can hold a ton of stuff, because I'm playing Dragon Quest Builders, right? Or Ark. Or Ark. Uh, but in Ark, you actually got weight on you, so you, you have can't a weight carry yeah. Yeah. But in, uh, So you can carry a shitload of berries. Right. Or 20 stones. Right. But in Dragon Quest Builders, like you have, you have, it appears just an infinite inventory actually on your person. And then you can also put, you can put chests down that actually have limited inventories. And so you use them almost as external organizational tools, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so there's there's this other element there, which is like, okay, that was actually interesting to use and fun to use. And I was like, okay. So it's because carrying stuff around and having to throw stuff out of your inventory while you're choosing things off the ground, annoying and dumb. Yeah. But actually doing the organizational management is kind of like tidying your house and maybe somewhat enjoyable in some ways. So there's definitely some things we've learned from from games, not, not bad games, but specific bad like elements of them that we've taken. Yeah, or even just unenjoyable mechanics or or whatever. Yeah, yeah there, there've been yeah, because I, I I've had only I've only played a few games where I just really there was one game that made me angry mm-hmm. when I played it. I'm not going to announce it. Of course, but <laughs> there was one game that made me angry, but it's but it's actually a lot of people like it. Like yeah. it, it, had, it had a generally positive score on Steam. Uh, and it just made me angry to play it. There was like, there's all this stuff that I just, that I, I felt like everything about the controls was bad. Like I just mm. really hated this game. Um, but so many people liked it, you know? Cause that's the other thing too, is like there's so much of this is just going to be down to your personal opinion and how you yeah. actually enjoy aspects of games and different parts of the thing. So I don't think it's about whether a game is good or not. And, and I think that, but the core part of this question that doesn't even work is that if a game is bad, you shouldn't be playing it, which means you can't really learn from it. Right. Mm-hmm. But there are, Anything that you, any game, any piece of media that you have, you get to critique, right? And you can ask, like, does this aspect of it work for what this is? Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. And then you can learn from that and and take that forward if you're also making similar yeah. things. Yeah. Well, there's there's other interesting side of this too, which is something like No Man's Sky, which uh, when it launched it had like a thirty percent positive on Steam or whatever, um, which means that the the general consensus among the people right. who played it was this is a bad game, yeah. right? Um, still, though, a third of people did say that they would recommend it to other people. So I don't know. Maybe it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a third good. Um, but still, some some of the ideas in that game were pretty groundbreaking yeah. in terms of the way they were using procedural generation whatever. Uh, but they basically just missed the mark on most of those things. But still, the ideas in there are really cool and interesting. Right. And I think that's and kind can, of – And you can borrow from them and adapt them in your own yeah. specific game and, context. And, and if you look at a lot of the, the top – uh, games on Steam, a lot of them do have like 50% positive. Yeah. You know, which yeah. maybe that comes back to the community's question, which is yeah. like people who have 2,000 hours in a game and like would not recommend, you yeah. know, that does happen. Um, but yeah, it's kind of hard to tell like what's a good game, what's mm. a bad game. It's all subjective. Yeah. All right. Next question comes from Jabvira Sappyflat. Nice. Who says, hey, Butterscotch Bros, I've been wanting to ask a question on the podcast for a while, but I always decide against it because I feel like I'll somehow end up looking very dumb. How do you guys Let's see? How do you guys get over the anxiety of doing things that you have little to no experience with? Or do you not cough bidet cough? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Adam, can you, you know, speak to this? Uh, I would say with regard to the bidet specifically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, How's that going? Which we'll talk about the prior thing that has literally nothing to do with anxiety or not having done it before <laughs> and everything to do with not knowing the value of it and having an anxiety about water leaks, Yeah, which is sort of unrelated. So, so I have actually a very recent one, hmm. which is I haven't eaten meat in three days. Mm, that's new for you. That's, so which, which, to, which to a lot of people listening, you'd be like, wait, what? How does that matter? Yeah. But for Seth, I he eats like three pounds of meat. I'm essentially a, a wood chipper. For animals. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrifying if you think about it. <laughs> Especially when you frame it. Yeah, it is absolutely horrifying. Well, okay. So so my, my wife and I have been uh, – well, actually, Sam has been doing the meal prep largely. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like it's – when you do when you do meal prep, like you're cooking it – you're cooking in batches and you, you're metering out and you've got your sort of like weekly plan. And so you can easily just look at the numbers and be like mm. – how many 
chicken thighs That's or right. chicken it's, breasts. It's harder to, harder to spot if you're doing it every day, you're cooking something. Right. Yeah. If you're like, oh, I'll have a chicken breast here or a hamburger there or yeah. whatever. And once you come face to face with the recognition that you, you yourself may very well be personally responsible for the death of like, <laughs> like 350 chickens a year. That's yeah. insane. That's pretty wild. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then, yep. w- and then when you couple that with that, you could literally just not be doing, like you could just not though. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't hurt you. Any to it not. wouldn't hurt you at all. And then also like, because there's so many, uh, like meat alternative things out there made out of plants and pea protein and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. You can get basically the same effect. So on top of you not needing to do a period, you also could really just not, and it would basically be the same. It would be almost exactly the same. <laughs> Uh, so it's like I could eat, I could get basically the same amount of protein, maybe a little bit less, right? But pretty close, mm-hmm. uh, have food that tastes just as good, a little bit different, but just as good, uh, and not be committing mass murder. <laughs> yep. So why the fuck am I doing this? Interesting. Um, and so, so for me, this is kind of a big deal because I'm from the Midwest and, and for whatever reason, uh, it, you eat meat with every meal. Myself in, in particular, I just, yeah, I just been eating meat my whole life, all the time, all day, every day. Sometimes my meals are only meat. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also in that there's that certain subset talking about fandom, right? Like meat eaters are their own little sort of like, and I, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm one of them. I've been one of them. You know, we have our own little fandom that's very toxic and fucked up. Yes, where we get angry at at people who don't mm-hmm. want to eat meat. Like, what the fuck? That's mm-hmm. weird. Right. That it's kind wild. of like being the only person not drinking at a party. Yeah. Everybody else is like, come on. Like, come on. You're <laughs> making me feel it. bad about my alcohol issues. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. And so this is just something that's been like a core part of, of just everything about my life is just like I always eat animals. Uh, and so then for whatever reason, last week, I was just like, I should fucking not be doing this. This is chill out. This is bad, you know? And not only that, but like. <laughs> It's it's arguably uh, not any better for me than the alternative. No, uh, no. health wise, I, I know there's a lot of people who really like plug uh, like vegetarianism as having like huge health benefits. I, I don't it think there's no. no evidence for that. Really, no, it's, not it's just like it's fine. It's just it's just food. I haven't seen anything. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. the thing is like nothing. yeah, it's one of those things though. That's like it's it's because it all depends on still what you're eating, right? It yeah. doesn't just because you're not eating meat that doesn't mean you're eating healthy. That's not those aren't. It's not how things work. Right. Right? I could be yeah, like I got some Krispy Kremes on my desk. Like, that's not meat. No, that's not meat at all. Mm. I'm vegetarian now, and yep. I'm just down in Krispy Kremes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so so I kind of landed on this on this last week where I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna try to stop mm. eating meat um, wherever possible. And I'm not gonna be weird about it. So like, if I go out with friends and like we're at a restaurant and there's only meat, then it's, it's fine. fine. Yeah. You know, it's fine. Uh, but I'm not going to seek it out as like my primary thing, like what I have done literally my mm. entire life. But this is a big deal, right? Because there's a whole new... So does this make you anxious? Like what do you, you know, back to the question, what's the... Honestly, yeah. So so the way I was kind of thinking about it was uh, that I, I was nervous about that it would be like an, a huge shift, both in terms of like, am I going to be able to still like maintain muscle mass if I'm lifting? Um, or even like get stronger because it's going to be harder to get protein or, or um, what am I going to cook? Mm-hmm. Like, what am I going to eat? Right. I, don't you know, know? I don't know how to do this. Yeah. Right how do you, yeah. Cause if, if everything in your life is built around one particular thing and then you just like change that thing to something else, you know, what, what do you do? Um, so really then I just did some reading 
And I, I looked into it, and it turns out like it's all pretty much the same. It's easy mm-hmm. to spend a lot of time being anxious uh, instead of just doing the thing. Doing the thing. It's true. Yeah. Most things, when, yeah, when you do them, it's fine. Yeah. You know? So like if like if if you're anxious about getting a bidet, just fucking read about bidets. Yeah. Yep. And then you'll realize. I think Adam probably should have bought his. Yeah. Action. Is, <laughs> yep. Action is generally the antidote, I think, for most of this stuff. Um, it is. Yeah. As it relates to. So like I started, I went to a therapy session for the first time two weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my wife about it because I was having some just usually like I have, I have plenty of wobbles in my sort of general life, but I had a bit of more of a down wobble. It was just lasting too long, and all my new, normal tricks. You wibbled when you should have wobbled. I wibbled, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just lasted too long. And so I was talking to her about it, and she's like, "Maybe you should go see someone." And I was like, "I guess maybe I should." And then yeah, we're talking to some friends about it, and they're like, "You mean you haven't seen someone since?" Like you kind of went through like a lot of shit. You sort of stared down your own mortality for like two years straight. Yeah, and they're like, you didn't talk just, to anybody. And you just kind of like you're like brush is, it off. Yeah, this is like, fine. I'm from Iowa. He's like, yeah, I guess you're right. I probably <laughs> really probably should. And you walk off eating a big steak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what. I just shoved it out with meat. Um, yeah, so I went and did that, and I was actually I was very nervous about it because at first it was like, am I like, what am I gonna do? How, how do you find someone? Apparently, it's like. Basically, like dating again, where you got to find the right therapist. Hard to for find you. a good therapist, but I found also they don't take insurance. Basically, I just, so yeah, I mean, I, I called around and looked which ones took our healthcare insurance. Like that was my first step: was who yep. takes my insurance right here. And then I just read a bunch of bios. Yep, looked at pictures, and I was like, this person seems good. Called her, got her first session. It was good. And I'm doing it again this weekend. Right yep. there, you go. But it was it was definitely the thing. Like before I before I did the reading, and then sort of really it was it was laying out those questions to sort of answer what. What are the bare bones things that I can just do to move forward on this? Um, then it was weird. But even like I started doing this um, this new drawing class that I'm in, uh, environment sketching. And the thing is like I'm terrible at it. These are drawing full compositions that are environments and you're supposed to be able to do a thumbnail in five minutes that looks like something. My thumbnails in five minutes. I swear to God, there's like three shapes. There's three shapes. And I'm like, I swear I was drawing the whole time. <laughs> How are there three shapes? This is crazy. Like my head moves faster than this. Some reason this. I'm imagine, imagining you holding the, the pen with a fist. Oh, and my like God. Your tongue sticking out. You're like, That's what it feels like. I feel like I'm chiseling stuff. Um, and the thing is like, yeah, I get anxious as fuck about sitting down, about doing the work for this, right? But the thing I can control is just putting myself in the position. So, so yeah, I scheduled times to do it. So I had one this morning before coming into work for like an hour. So – I just schedule times to do it. And then what I do for myself is like, it doesn't make me anxious to show up. Like that's a skill I have to appear somewhere. So I I just show up and then I do the horrible thing. The trick is to get yourself in the situation where you have no choice. Yep. You know, that's a good one. So there's another, there's another trick too, which Mm -hmm. is fear setting. Yeah. That one's fun. So I think you're better at explaining this. It's a technique Tim Ferriss, I think talks about, which basically you, you list your fear. And then if I recall, it's sort of like, it's like goal setting, but for, it's the opposite. Yeah, for things that you're actually worried about that will happen. Yeah, because you're like, okay, so what's 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 the, the worst, worst case that scenario happen? that would actually happen from this? So, like, what are all the worst case scenarios? Yeah, what are all the all the things that I think would be hor- go horribly wrong mm-hmm. if I did this thing? And then you also guess like, what's the actual likelihood of that? And then what can I do to make it so that that does not happen? And then if it does happen, what would my what would yeah would my, what response, would my response be? be? And so once you actually lay it all out, because a lot a lot of the anxiety comes from not nailing. And so once you mm-hmm. sit down and you do something like this, this takes literally like five minutes. And so you can you can take one of these weird fears you've had for a long time that's just been floating around and you can just trap it in like a couple of minutes. It's like it, the morning pages. Yep. Well, you got to take all that garbage turn, and dump it out. Yeah, like and you can turn each one of those things into an action. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. You convert your anxieties into actions, and then you're just fine. Whatever, you know, man. Yeah, because a lot of time, a lot of time, that anxiety is just generalized anxiety. Yes, and it's not about anything in particular. It's about the fact that there's a change, and I think uh, humans have really good sort of avoidance strategies. Hundred percent. You know, very good. And, and whenever something is potentially disruptive or or painful in the future, our go to mode is to just be like, nope, and just kind of like yep. redirect and mm-hmm. go around it, pretend like it's not there. Um, but when you just look at it, it's actually usually not yeah. not that bad, really. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.basecatch.net. We've got links to the community Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the podcast archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.